today on Ag News Daily. So as part of the same um, organization, I just have, I hold two titles that they gave away at the state level. I started out as the 2021 Granville County Miss United States Agriculture, and that's the county that I live in. Good morning, listeners, and happy Thursday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined by Tanner Winterhoff, sponsored today by Your Soy Checkoff. Tanner, how are we doing today? We're good. Uh, Still cloud covered, but the rain has stopped. I dumped an inch and a half out of my gauge over the last 36 hours, and uh, hopefully that sun will peak out this afternoon. I am certainly hoping so as well, because otherwise we're going to have not such a pleasant Memorial Day weekend, although it's supposed to get up into the 80s this weekend. So it's going to be a drastic uh, swing in temperatures here over the next couple of days. Yeah, it looks like wind's going to pick up too, but it seems like anymore, if if we're not getting a rainy spell, we're getting uh, extreme wind with some temperatures. So uh, quite interesting for us here in central Iowa this spring. It certainly has been, Tanner. But another thing that's interesting I did not pick up on until I saw this in the headlines is there is another large equipment strike going on right now at C&H Industries. The union workers at the Racine, Wisconsin and Burlington, Iowa plants have been on strike for their fourth week now, Tanner. Again, hadn't realized this was going on. I don't know if you've seen this in the headlines, but apparently union leaders and CNH leaders have met multiple times and have struck down a couple of different proposals that were made. The latest round in proposals that I read here, negotiations, was that the union workers wanted a six-year contract. CNH was only willing to give a three-year contract. Interesting. No, that's good to have an update, Delaney. Clearly, you listen to the stories that uh, I share with our listeners. We hit that on the first week that I had joined. So good to see, but I'm surprised that it has taken this long for it to really surface. I would say it's been swept under the rug quite well because we have not seen headlines since the original outbreak. Yes, I would agree. And you're right. You did share that. So my apologies. But I would have to say, too, I would imagine that union workers are probably taking a play out of the John Deere strike handbook now that we've seen a major organization like that come to the table and negotiate. I'm guessing they're going to follow suit. But in addition to the six year contract, they also were offered an eight and a half percent raise in the first year of the contract. But labor union folks are saying that isn't enough due to the current rate of inflation, which is at 8.3% as of the latest U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics report. You know, Delaney, I think Cassidy and I are going to go on strike and we need we need more than an 8.3% raise uh, on our contracts for Ag News Daily. Just giving you a forewarning. Well, Tanner, uh, 0% of zero is still zero. <laughs> it's it's fair that is very fair well, i tell you what is more than zero is 200 million so uh, announced thursday usda is putting 200 million into expanding meat packeting capacity through the new loan program that is geared towards small meat packers so very specific that this fund is, is used for citing the Biden administration's efforts to promote competition in the economy Secretary Tom Vilsack was also set to testify before Congress this morning. So 
information coming out ahead of his testimony, letting him know that they are continuing to promote competition in agriculture. Uh, the White House kicked off this plan back in early January, and now official news and outlines have rolled out related to this $200 million ex expanded meatpacking project. Now, the poultry side of this is uh, Biden administration's move pushing the poultry contracts into a tournament pay system. So poultry growers will begin to uh, work on the vertically integrated chicken industry. Uh, under the tournament system, farmers receive base pay for delivery of birds, but then bonuses based on the health and the number of birds delivered to slaughter. Uh, so that is another one of these packages here that looks like they are looking at putting $35 million towards investigating and establishing fair practices in the poultry industry. So a lot came out just ahead of Bill Sachs' testimony before Congress uh, on the status and updates of these Biden administration plans that the USDA is involved in. Yeah, and we don't know yet for sure exactly how this $200 million will be used. I think that is coming later today, Tanner. Correct. Yep. It's stated it's in a loan program, so it sounds like it may be a forgivable product, uh, but you're correct. Very little outlines have been given. Well, Tanner, speaking of funding, we saw today that the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation, or excuse me, yesterday, announced $2.6 million in grants to help farmers plant cover crops across 500,000 acres in Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Michigan, and Minnesota. This grant is part of the nonprofit's new Midwest Cover Crop Initiative, which is funded actually by the USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and ADM of all people. And as of a 2021 USDA report, they showed that cover crops have been an increasingly more adopted practice with about 10.3 million acres in 2012 and 15.4 million acres in 2017. However, only 5.1% of cropland in that county actually uses cover crops. So we see today some additional funding for that and folks can go to the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation website to learn more on how to potentially apply for some of those cover crop grants. No, that's that's good information. It sounds like uh, continually having additional resources for farmers to adopt those practices is a is a good way to allow them to try it, see if it works for them, uh, and move on if it doesn't. So, Delaney, have you been keeping an eye on the headlines around the Black Sea and ports opening up for Ukraine? Because it seems like there are quite a few articles out here written around the wheat market. Of course, when we get to the grain markets here at the end of our segment, we will hit on where they are traveling today. But the USDA, it seems like, is conflicting itself on its global estimates for ending stocks on the wheat side of things. So for the 2022-2023 marketing year, they have uh, pegged their ending stocks at 267 million metric tons or 9.8 billion bushels. Uh, ending stocks are at the top eight exporters is a better metric for gauging the world wheat supply, says this DTN analyst. And it seems like those eight exporters all have had their ending stocks raised. So it'll be interesting, Delaney, to see where this goes as the USDA seems to be kind of playing 
with their numbers. And as we get more updates on what Ukraine's impact will be to the wheat market. Absolutely, Tanner. And I do have some other Russian related headlines here, but I want to take a quick pause to hear from today's sponsor first. Tanner, as we dive back into some Ukraine-Russia news here. I do have a couple of other headlines I wanted to make mention of today. You know, yesterday we talked about Russia announcing that they would open ports, allowing Ukraine shipments out. However, of course, they have conditions. Their conditions include that other countries will also lift sanctions that have been imposed on Russian exports and financial transactions, notably, of course, the U.S. and other EU countries. They also said that they will require the demining of the Ukrainian side of all ports where ships are anchored. And the U.S. did, of course, have a response to this. The U.S. State Department spokesperson Ned Price stated in a press briefing yesterday, Tanner, that, quote, we certainly won't lift our sanctions in response to empty promises And we've heard empty promises before from the Russian Federation. I think we all have good reason to be skeptical when we hear various pledges and offers from Russia, end quote. So it appears that the U.S. won't be making any moves. And so it might be a little bit of a game of chicken here to see who caves first. Yeah, I've had a lot of conversations with local producers around these headlines about, you know, what's going to actually happen, what types of sanctions are going to be lifted. Because you don't see someone like Putin just for humankind to do something nice for the world and allow one of the world's largest exporters in wheat, corn, and sunflower oil to begin shipping out one of their major ports. So uh, maybe a dangerous negotiation as to what what can be given up or forgiven or allowed uh, in exchange for trying to secure food safety. Absolutely. But you have to think that there are ulterior motives here by Russia. They just, Absolutely. Yeah, there. They just wouldn't do something to do something. Correct. And I, I would say, so staying again uh, on the Russian-Ukraine side, remember we wrote, reported on the equipment stolen from the John Deere dealership and how it had been bricked or blocked remotely so it could be rendered useless. Now there are stories coming out that Um, the Russians had hired private contractors to come in and de-brick the machines to exploit a way to get around the uh, torque sensors in the wheels that allow the machines to have permission to move forward. So basically they had been rendered useless and now there is apparently a process called bin locking that enables only authorized technicians to enter specific codes into the machine's internal network. But now there are supposedly codes being built by, I'm just going to call criminals, that could potentially pose a much larger danger to agriculture industry as it is. Because if these codes work and these machines that have been bricked can be de-bricked, now you have potential ways for hackers to get into these manufactured pieces of equipment and could potentially cause uh, a lot of damage on a large scale to really disrupt the agriculture community in multiple countries. Because a lot of the technology is the same, whether a John Deere tractor is sold here or in another country. Yeah, good point there, Tanner. 
Well, I tell you what, I have one final follow-up story as well on a piece I reported on earlier this week, and that is U.S. dairy quotas. We talked earlier this week about how the finger was getting pointed at Canada not making good on allowing U.S. imports of dairy products, and the U.S. has officially, as of Wednesday, asked for consultations with Canada over the dairy import quota limit. And so as I understand it here, consultations basically are the first step to settle this trade dispute. And I think it's kind of like mediation where they, you know, sit down, they talk about it, I believe, with the WTO or people appointed by the WTO to go through this. But ultimately, um, we could see the two sides disagree. And then from there, I think we would have to take legal action against the U.S. or excuse me, against Canada if they don't follow through and make some concessions. Interesting. So another one of those discussions that isn't potentially going to end friendly. No, potentially not. Let's pause here for a message from our partner before I get into my last piece of news for the day. Who mapped the soybean genome? You did. Yes, you. Better varieties are on the way. Today's soybean farmers, that's you, are achieving big breakthroughs in seed. How? By pooling your resources through your soy checkoff. Your Soy Checkoff research sequenced the soybean genome to help seed companies and other researchers bring better varieties faster to your operation. See all the ways your Soy Checkoff is moving soy forward for you at unitedsoybean.org slash hopper. So Delaney, as we report on, it seems like every Thursday is ethanol production and uh, ethanol output has jumped now in the last seven days to the highest level in the last two months topping the 1 million barrel per day mark for the first time in that time period at 1.014 million barrels per day last week. That's up from the 991,000 that we reported on the week before. This is not coming at a bad time because our stockpiles continue to dwindle. So ethanol stockpiles have dropped to 23.7 million barrels this week. That's down from 23.79. So uh, it's good to see, Delaney, that they are reacting to higher demand to make sure that those stockpiles don't go any lower. But a uh, positive sign for our corn growers to see ethanol production surging to its highest level in the last two months. It is positive news, Tanner. However, that didn't really do much this morning to excite markets. Still trading on news of potential corn and wheat exports has corn and wheat trading lower this morning, as well as some lackluster export sales that we saw released early this morning. Soybeans, however, are seeing some stronger trade here this morning, even though we saw Uh, Some overnight losses, soybean oil and soybean meal are leading the soybean complex higher this morning, about 15 cents higher in the November contract. And as we flip over and look at livestock this morning, weakness across all three protein complexes. Nice. I mean, the headlines that came out this morning when markets opened were certainly concerned about the China and Brazil agreement, Mm -hmm. what the ports look like in Ukraine. And of course, China's lockdown, possibly lowering the need for oils. Uh, so yes, it'll be, again, something to continue to watch. But now we get to jump into our conversation today. And uh, I'm excited to learn more about the experiences that this guest has and what she has lined up for her in the future. So let's move on to that.
And like I said, it's our pleasure to jump into the conversation with our guest today, Katie Haynes. She's the 2022 North Carolina Miss Agriculture Advocacy Ambassador, also the 2022 North Carolina People's Choice Miss United States of Agriculture. So welcome to the podcast, Katie. Thank y'all for having me. That is a mouthful of a title. So first of all, I should say congratulations, because that doesn't come without some type of achievement. But why don't you tell our listeners uh, a little bit about yourself and what your tie to agriculture is? So my name is Katie Haynes. I'm 22 years old and I'm from Youngsville, North Carolina. I'm a North Carolina native and so is all of my family. Um, so we, I grew up in 4-H and FFA. I was in 4-H for 12 years. And while I was in 4-H, I was also a district officer. And now I currently serve on the 4-H adult um, volunteer board and uh, the honor club board and I show rabbits and my beef my grandparents have a beef cattle operation in the foothills of North Carolina. So Katie just out of curiosity where are you from in North Carolina give our listeners a reference point here. North of Raleigh. Okay gotcha. So, Katie, like Tanner was saying there, obviously those two titles are uh, very prestigious and obviously a lot of work and time went into earning those two titles. But before we talk a little bit more about that, tell us what the Agriculture Advocacy Ambassador Program is, as well as the Miss United States Agriculture. So as part of the same um, organization, I just have I hold two titles that they gave away at the state level. I started out as the 2021 Granville County Miss United States Agriculture, and that's the county that I live in. Um, and then I went to the state level in October of last year and got the advocacy and the people's choice. And the advocacy one is given away by the most community service, farm visits, podcasts, interviews, um, attending industry visits and public speaking. And then the people's choice is given away by monetary donations through the personalized um, link. Nice. So that definitely shows and demonstrates that there's been a lot of work, probably a lot of miles and a lot of conversations that you have had. So when you think about what you've achieved so far, what is next along your advocacy route? So if I was to get a national title, the first thing I would do is reach out to nationally, uh, like national TV stations to help advocate for um, the disabled community because that's my platform, making sure everybody has a place in agriculture um, because I have over 21 chronic illnesses and special needs and I feel like that shouldn't hold you back in life. And then, um, of course, attending um, things like national rodeos and other national events just to help grow the program and help grow um, relationships um, that might help me even with my nonprofit. So that's that's something that I don't know if our listeners uh, are going to pass over, but you stated that you had 21. uh, Could you restate that comment? Because I'm not even remembering it correctly. I have over 21 chronic illnesses that are either rare or rarely diagnosed. And how does that affect your ability to participate in these advocacy programs? So a lot of these uh, people have had to adapt um, in ways they wouldn't otherwise had to because in the agricultural industry, that's not um, 
something that's not the first thing people think of in general much less in agriculture so um like adapting stages and stuff so that i can be a part of um the events and so i was actually a fair queen and ran for the miss iowa pageant a couple of times back in the day. Um, so I very much am aware of the pageant circuit and the pageant life. And in like you were mentioning there, you have a platform that I didn't realize that Miss Agriculture ran on as well. But tell us a little bit more about your platform and what you're doing to help advocate for people that are maybe different in agriculture, but also just for agriculture as a whole. So I'm working with the, um, well, I've worked with the Department of Agriculture and different organizations in North Carolina, such as North Carolina Agribility. That's actually a nationwide program to help disabled people get back to farming. And I just help advocate through social media, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, um, and then attend events and stuff to make sure everyone feels included. So when you look at social media as a a medium for you to deliver your message which platform is one of your favorite ones to use i'd have to say tiktok um because even like this last weekend i was attending the got to bnc festival which is one of our big agriculture events here in north carolina and this guy i was riding in the tractor parade and this guy yells out i know you from tiktok and i'm like ain't that wild <laughs> Uh, just that social media is powerful no matter how many followers you think you might have um, you're still making an impact on people's lives yeah absolutely and it's good to see social media being used for positive uh, things when it feels like a lot of times you know you log into social media and it's just sometimes garbage I feel like so it's good to see that you're using your platform to affect positive change but Katie final question for you as you're getting ready to prepare for future competitions you've got a big one coming up tell us a little bit more about that and when that is yeah i'm going to orlando florida in june of this year the 24th and the 25th and i will be uh i will become the first person to compete at the system in a wheelchair but that's very exciting to see that yes i'm super excited and i have no pageant experience (laughs) that'll be a lot of fun for you so if our listeners want to follow your journey or look you up on these social media platforms how can they follow you they can follow me at 2022 north carolina miss agriculture advocacy ambassador uh, on facebook instagram and tiktok and they can um, support me through my um, people's choice link or um, follow me on that there's Facebook, the Facebook page and sending me a DM and I have a list of other options that people can be a part of. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We wish you the best of luck. Thank y'all for having me. I bet you didn't know that I was a former fair queen and Miss Iowa contestant. And I did win Miss Congeniality, and it was voted on by the judges and the other contestants. So I feel like that's a pretty big honor that people voted that I was the most congenial person. Yeah, and probably most of them don't even know what the word congeniality means. But uh, that's good for you, Delaney. I still think that I missed my calling, and we should find a pageant to enter 
me in on behalf of Agnes Daly. Yeah, they need to have like a Mr. Agriculture pageant. Maybe we could start one. I would be a shoo-in for Mr. Congeniality. I think you would too. We can um, watch Miss Congeniality <laughs> 1 and 2 and you can channel your inner pageant girl. Uh, no, uh, I'll pass. That was a fun, fun thought, but we'll need to find another candidate to represent us. Okay. Well, maybe maybe one of our <laughs> listeners would be happy to represent us, but we certainly appreciate you guys tuning in with us again today and we'll be back once again tomorrow, but Monday Memorial Day, Tanner, we will be off for the podcast. Oh, great. I had a day off. I appreciate yes. that. You are one of the best bosses, <laughs> Delaney. Well, we try. We do what we can. But uh, with that, should we let the listeners go? Let's let the listeners go. 